Welcome to the History Guy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories of lesser-known historical events told by Lance Geiger, also known as the History Guy on YouTube. I'm Josh, your host, a writer for the channel and eldest son of the History Guy. We tell all kinds of stories about history, from the modern era to the ancient past, so you never know what we're going to talk about next. One thing you can be sure of, it is history that deserves to be remembered. This episode of the History Guy Podcast is brought to you by Magellan TV a new kind of streaming service that aims to bring you the best documentaries from around the world. Merry Christmas! On today's episode, we're talking about a couple of forgotten pieces of Christmas history, the tale of how nutcrackers became symbols of the season, and the winding road that led American homes to be full of Christmas trees. Without further ado, let me introduce The History Guy. Nuts have been a part of the human diet since prehistory. There's evidence that the almond was one of the first fruit trees to be cultivated in the Middle East and that they might have been cultivated as far back as four or five thousand years ago. And foraging for wild nuts even goes back farther than that. There's evidence of nut shells and the stones used to crack those shells in an archaeological site in Israel that dates back some 780 thousand years and it's those tools that we use to crack nuts that finally gave rise to the holiday nutcracker a sort of combination holiday decoration toy and tool all in one and this uh these now are widely available throughout the world made by the millions and well for example this one's made in china but it started out really as a piece of german folk art a tradition in the mountains of germany and the, the history the surprising history of the humble nutcracker deserves to be remembered the oldest known metal nutcracker is about 2,400 years old and is currently displayed at a museum in Toronto, Italy. It's made of bronze and shaped into two hands with curving bracelets. Besides the decoration, many ancient nutcrackers look similar to our modern plier-like hinged lever nutcrackers with teeth to hold the nuts while the user cracks them with one hand. The earliest documentation of nutcrackers in England dates to the 14th century Canterbury Tales, and a set were reportedly given to Anne Boleyn by Henry VIII. These early nutcrackers were made of bronze, cast iron, boxwood, and, as in the lofty halls of the Victorian England wealthy, of silver. More rarely, they were made of porcelain. Across the world, many of these early nutcrackers were decorated or designed to resemble animals, cracking the nuts in their mouths. The decorative wooden nutcrackers that have become emblematic of Christmas trace their roots to Germany, especially in Thuringia and the Ore Mountains, in the region now born in Czechia. Since at least the 15th century, artisans all over Europe have been carving decorative wooden nutcrackers as figures in the shapes of animals and people. But it was these rural Germans who would create the now familiar decorative soldier. The exact invention of the now iconic German decorative nutcracker, however, is unknown. An enduring German folktale tells the story of a farmer who had grown tired of working so much to crack his nuts that he offered a reward to anyone who could invent a better nutcracker. Then a puppeteer arrived from the village of Ziefen, carrying with him a colorful wooden puppet with jaws that were powerful enough to crack the nuts in an instant. Farmer was pleased, and the entire village received an award for his good work. While the folktale is not probably actual history, it provides an excellent origin story to what was a very real cottage industry in the region, centered in small villages like Ziefen. In the Ore Mountains and nearby Sonnenberg in Thuringia, many of the people were miners, earning their money digging up mainly silver. In the 17th century, mining interests in the area slowed, and the people took up the next best thing, carpentry, using the wood from their heavily forest homeland. They were especially known for their toy making, as well as for making cribs. One possible explanation for the eventual association with Christmas is that it was in the winter that carpenters were left to work only in their workshops, and that's when they would produce most of their toys. They sent these goods along Salt Street, the trade route that brought salt from Leipzig to Prague. In 1735, toy makers in Zonenberg mentioned nutbiters that cracked nuts using leverage. Nutcrackers from the Ore Mountains were offered at Christmas market in Dresden in 1745. The design of the nutcracker in the form of soldiers, kings, and policemen, with their large, wide-set eyes and permanent grimace, may have been a subtle dig at the off-changing imperial and otherwise rulers of these regions. The wooden figures caricatures of people's most common problems. When Napoleon occupied the region, the locals even began fashioning their nutcrackers in his likeness. But the painstakingly painted tools were not just cheap wooden blocks, but carefully designed pieces of art. The best handcrafted nutcrackers from the Ore Mountains are made up of as many as 60 pieces, with as many as 130 steps involved in their production. By 1800, the familiar nutcrackers were a common sight in the region, and other colorfully painted versions were being sold as souvenirs to travelers. The locals, such as the Ziefen-centered Steinbach family, were selling them, too, as good luck charms, bearing their teeth as fierce figurines meant to ward off evil spirits. 
In their dictionary, the Brothers Grimm defined nutcrackers as a misshapen little man in whose mouth the nut, by means of a lever or screw, is cracked open. But there was a limit to how many nutcrackers artisans could actually sell to their neighbors, as many households had only one of them. This and changing economic times pushed German traders to seek foreign markets, selling the colorful toys abroad, especially in Poland, Russia, and Norway. This coincided with a change in the celebration of Christmas. In 1816, the ruling Habsburgs, for the first time, had a Christmas tree, and with the tree and the growing middle class following the period after the Napoleonic Wars came a tradition of a quiet, pious celebration of Christmas. It came to Central Europe largely from northern Germany, and brought with it a custom of gathering around the tree with gifts, especially for the children. This period also allowed a much larger population to enjoy art and acquire artisan wares, like the carefully built Nutcracker dolls. In 1872, Wilhelm Frederick Fuchner, today remembered as the father of the Nutcracker, started using spruce wood for the dolls, became the first person to start using the river near Ziefen to power his lathes so that he could begin mass-producing the toys. He based his design on the image of the Nutcracker found in the picture book by Heinrich Hoffmann, King Nutcracker, and poor Reinhold. The toys were popular at that point regionally, but were not yet a global phenomenon, but this was the first step of turning the toys from pieces of folk art to the symbol of Christmas that it is today. The Nutcracker began its journey as a cultural icon, with E.T.A. Hoffman, a German author of fantasy and gothic horror, who wrote The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. In the book, young Maurice Stahlbaum's favorite Christmas toy, a Nutcracker doll, comes to life. He defeats the Mouse King and then takes Marie to a world populated by dolls. The story was retold in 1844 by Alexander Dumas, the famous writer of The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo. The plot was nearly identical to Hoffman's original work, but was edited specifically to make it more friendly to children, and was titled only The Nutcracker. In 1890, the Sleeping Beauty Ballet was performed at the Marinsky Theater in St. Petersburg, written by Ivan Zivalovsky and Marius Petipa. Petipa choreographed the ballet, and Peter Tchaikovsky composed the music. The success of the ballet inspired Zivalovsky to make another ballet based on a children's story. He chose The Nutcracker and the Mouse King, as Hoffman's work was widely popular in Russia at the time. He wrote an adaptation based more on Dumas's later version, omitting much of the original Hoffman story. Petipa would again choreograph, though ill health meant that his assistant ballet master, Lev Ivanov, completed the work. Tchaikovsky had to be pressured into doing the score, as he did not like the adaptation. Still, he agreed, making The Nutcracker his third and final ballet before he died in 1893. Petipa gave very specific instructions to Tchaikovsky about certain parts of the music. He wanted a crescendo of 48 bars while the Christmas tree on stage rose, for the music for the dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy to sound like water splashing in a fountain. The ballet is also known for its use of the celeste, especially as the solo instrument in the Sugar Plum Fairy's dance. Tchaikovsky played a selection of eight pieces on March 19, 1892 for the St. Petersburg branch of the Musical Society, and it was an instant hit. The ballet was premiered at the Marinsky Theater on December 18, 1892, double-billed with Tchaikovsky's one-act opera, Yolanta. The ballet was performed 11 times before closing a month later. The critical reception of the ballet was mixed, with some serious criticisms. One of the complaints was the choice to have the ballet's children played by actual children. One critic said the ballet was made by children for children. Another said the children were, in large amounts, unbearable. Some enjoyed the play, including Tsar Alexander III, who called Tchaikovsky to the royal box on opening night to congratulate Tchaikovsky on his score. They called the score astonishingly rich in detailed inspiration, although some found other parts ponderous, particularly critical reviews said it could not claim to be a ballet at all, and that it was tedious, an insult, and unsuitable for dancing. It was a shame, one said, that so much good music is expended on such nonsense. By any measure, the premiere had not been a success, but following the revolution of 1917, Russian dancers lost their jobs and spread across Europe with knowledge of the choreography. It was played in parts across Europe, but not in its complete form until 1934. Disney used pieces of the Nutcracker Suite in its 1940 production, Fantasia. The ballet was first played in the United States in 1944 in San Francisco by William Christensen, the grandfather of American ballet. It did not start becoming popular until George Balanchine's production in 1954 in New York, a version whose choreography has been used often since. Balanchine, born in 1904, had been part of the Marinsky Group in St. Petersburg before the Revolution. As the ballet grew popular in the United States, American GIs stationed in West Germany after World War II began to send or bring home nutcrackers found at Christmas markets. The Ore Mountains were in East Germany, but found a willing market in soldiers in West Germany. 
West German manufacturers focused on making new versions of the nutcrackers to the growing population of collectors in the United States. Family companies, like the famous Steinbach Company, began producing limited edition series, the first of which was King Ludwig II, with only 3,000 made. Ballantyne himself played Drosselmeyer in the first televised version of the play by CBS in 1957. The ballet only became more popular, with dance companies all over the country putting together their own choreography or using others around Christmas time. Meanwhile, the demand for nutcrackers outpaced German artisans' ability to meet it. Now many thousands of them are made, much cheaper, in places like China or Thailand, decorating American trees and mantles. Perhaps ironically, today the wide availability of unshelled nuts means that very few modern nutcrackers are capable of performing their ancient job. Today, nutcrackers are made with colorful capes and hats and representing all manner of popular culture and celebrities, all part of the $8 billion a year that Americans spend on Christmas decorations, whether those are antique or artisan or just picked up at Target. In America, Lavenworth, Washington, a town that decorates itself as a Bavarian village each winter, houses the Lavenworth Nutcracker Museum, which has more than 4,000 examples, including ivory ones and brass ones, but of course thousands of the colorful painted ones. Many ballet companies stage the Nutcracker Suite each year, and it's become a part of many families' holiday tradition. It represents some 40% of ticket sales for many ballet companies in the United States. What started as a folk art tradition in the Orb Mountains of Germany to make colorful toys that could crack nuts has now become an enduring symbol of holiday spirit. Now's the part of the episode where we get to chat with the history guy about what we just heard, what we're going to hear, and some behind-the-scenes stuff that you only get to hear about on the podcast. I've never really collected nutcrackers, but of course they appear every year on store shelves, always around Christmas time. They're actually pretty hard to find if it's not Christmas time. Not impossible with Amazon these days, but... I say everything with Amazon. And there are, you know, it's funny because there are like places across the country that are year-round Christmas, you know, Santa Villages sort of places. Uh, so you can get them. And they're, they're highly collectible, yeah. of course, if you go to Germany. A lot of people I know, they'll go visit Europe. They always come back with a nutcracker. And those are the people that collect. So, I mean, you can you can find them. But, I mean, they pop out a lot more. And they're very, uh, the, the nicer ones are really actually quite incredible. Uh, these days, uh, the, the market oh, yeah. just, I think, with a lot of things, these kind of things that were crafts, is that, man, you can mass produce these suckers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people are very serious about Christmas, uh, and uh, so they want to collect all sorts of different ones, and, you know, the people are going to do the audience. But, I mean, you can also get custom stuff on Etsy, and you can, I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can get uh, nutcrackers. Uh, but I do know some people who collect nutcrackers, and they, you know, they really like the nice, high-quality ones. Uh, I'm a collector myself. Once you start collecting something, boy, it's always, you always want it's, the next it's one. It's one of you know? those things with the nutcrackers that, you know, whenever I'm collecting something, I want, oh, a full set of something or something of that. And I really like if I have a checklist that I can check off. And with uh -huh. Nutcrackers, I'm thinking, uh, well, was, if you if you do it in certain ways, you can have a checklist. But uh, it's another one where it's so broad that, you know, someone can make a special yeah. edition. And, like, at, that could be worth collecting even if it's... That's true. Maybe we need to hit... Maybe we need to make a History Guy Nutcracker. We need to make one with a bow tie. I, that might actually be kind of cool. I wonder how hard that would be to do. I wonder... Yeah, we'll have to see if that's expensive. Yeah, I've got the bobblehead. I, uh, I might get an action figure someday. Too, that's fair. Sense. That's just because that would be cool. <laughs> It would be it would be fun. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of thinking when you know when we did this episode, they, they talk about them as toys, and they were kinds of the things that kids would have. And it's interesting because for me, I never really have seen them as toys. Uh, if people have nice ones, I mean they're collectible things. They're not things you give the kid. Mm -hmm. And of course, these days, and the arms come off or something, right? And these days we've got way cooler. Uh, uh, well, way cooler. We've got way a, a much larger selection of toys. Yeah. You know, you're not like, ah, oh, well, our toys are basically what we go to get from the wood guy, who's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> kids these days. You know, back in my day, we didn't get the new video just, game every every week. Yes, yeah, that's true. I mean, with all the electronic toys and all the things that they can do, and you know, video games and et cetera, then maybe uh, these you know sort of functional wooden toys are less interesting. I don't know. Maybe you still get a kid to play with a wooden car or a wooden hobby. I, mean, horse I still or would probably. I I played with plenty of plastic ones, right? So I feel like a wooden one would be just the same. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a step. Um, up. So I, I I did want to ask: Do you have any memories with Nutcrackers and Christmas? 
No, I have to be honest. Uh, you know, my family's German. My grandpa was German. Uh, and so he always had nuts at Christmas, but uh, he had just the standard, you know, the metal nutcracker yeah. like you get at the store here. I mean, I, I don't remember him ever using a, a having a toy nutcracker sort of guy. Oh, uh, so I don't know if that was just not, you know, where they where they happen to come from or or I mean, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of people actually functionally use nutcrackers to yeah, crack days. nuts, you know, so I. Uh, 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 no, I don't. I don't remember one in our house as a kid. I don't remember. Uh, and as a matter of fact, really, the first people I know, my in-laws here collect uh, nutcrackers because they like to travel to Germany. And they were the first people I know that were really buying the fancy nutcrackers. You know, I remember the ballet on TV and stuff like that. But no, I don't. Uh, I, 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 I wasn't a, with a kid. I didn't have a nutcracker. Our family didn't do a nutcracker at Christmas. That wasn't. Like that was true for me. Uh, too. But I mean, it's it's one of those many, you know, very different. Uh, well, I yeah. mean, you're, you're not, so, <laughs> you did have nutcrackers. <laughs> I don't remember bringing nutcrackers into the house. Uh, uh, it's. I mean, there's there's so many Christmas traditions. It's interesting because Christmas is so full of tradition. Uh, and uh, that we seem to we we tend to think that our traditions are what everybody's traditions are, and actually the traditions are so varied and so you know across the world, uh, and so it's kind of it's kind of interesting that nutcrackers and I'm you know maybe they're becoming more of a tradition here in the United States now than they they used to be, but I mean that's something that can be very popular somewhere else that that you know didn't necessarily reach yeah. us here, but I, I you know I didn't have a big past with nutcrackers no, but we always had a Christmas tree. Uh, and you know, not everybody always had Christmas trees back in the day either. So I mean, it's uh, the, the traditions do evolve. It's an time. interesting one, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have any memories of them. I wouldn't have said really uh, that I associated them. I mean, I associate them with Christmas, but I don't necessarily associate Christmas with nutcrackers. If that makes sense, one 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 way, but not the other. That's the and yeah, but I mean, but there there yeah. are people who do. I mean, who wouldn't be Christmas without getting the, the nutcracker out? Yeah, and and you know the thing is, you know, we've always both like toy soldiers sort of things, and they are toy soldiers sort of things. They do they harken to a specific era yeah. of soldiers too, and they, and you know, so they're they're kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I I have to admit that I appreciate the aesthetic of a little wooden. See, soldier. I really agree with that. Is that they. I do like the look of them and they, they are a little, uh, they're, they're maybe a little kitschy to, I, <laughs> but today, uh, but I think that they're also, they're really kind of interesting as a, as kind of a piece of artwork and of, of an mm -hmm. era. And I think it's, I think it would be really cool to have, you know, ones from, from uh, Germany. Absolutely. They're their own art yeah. form. And well, I hate to buy one because if I can really never buy one of anything. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think that too, when I look at my shelves that are already full of other things <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'd have to move into another house before I could. More shelves, a bigger house with more shelves. <laughs> um, I did think this episode is one of my favorite descriptions of a nutcracker that uh, the brothers Grimm, I think the, a misshapen little man. <laughs> Uh, in whose mouth the nut by means of a lever. They screw. can be kind of. If you look at them, they can be a little bit scary. And and uh, you know, if you, you don't want to get your, if it'll crack a nut, you don't want to get your finger oh, no, in there, right? Your, right, your thumb. That's but, the yeah. Yeah, so and he is he he'll have little swords and little guns and I mean if you think about him you know that uh, I'm I'm sure there's a movie somewhere where the evil nutcracker comes alive and attacks the the, the household just like my cat is doing right now. <laughs> to uh, be honest, even the play is a little bit you know not necessarily it's not supposed to be evil, but the whole toy coming alive thing could be could be construed that way. I think I think I actually remember some. Uh, some like evil Santa sort of movie, something where the guy's playing Santa and he's and he's and, he's, and he had a nutcracker that had a sword or something to use as a knife. Or, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've seen seen them use his weapons in some something cheesy like that, movie right? at some point. Yeah, I mean, they're there, so it's it's kind of funny the idea of a misshapen little man. And and if you really think about them, they can it's a, almost they a do little have bit they've got very big heads uh, and, for their bodies. Um, they do, and you know, a, a huge. Part of Christmas is is literally a, a, a ballet where they come yeah. alive. Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, yeah. so I mean, yeah, yeah. The heads are of misshapen. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're seeing the downside, yeah, the, scary the scary side, side of, of, of the nutcrackers. Of the, of the uh, they don't necessarily always. They're not always like. I mean, they're bright, they're colorful, but they're not. I mean, they're not really smiling usually because they they've got a no, no, no. They're usually because they're so they're 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 you know yeah. they're soldiers, so they're. They have their, their stoic. I do think it's funny face. that the uh, that in that description, they don't mention that it's made of wood, or <laughs> just a misshapen little man. Oh, that's true, and I, yeah. was, I, I was like, that's a little misshapen. Like it's an actual like original nutcrackers for really some dude. You know, you got yeah, a misshapen dude, and you, you crack made the nuts. Crack yeah, that's for you, the, yeah. But it's it's very it's such an interesting it's such an interesting little way to. And I kind of like looking at some of those old descriptions. Um, and how and how those things might might have changed through the years. There was a, 
I was reading something that talked about a dictionary that was like an early Polish dictionary, and the word horse was just described as everyone knows what a horse is. And I, I wonder, you know, a <laughs> thousand years from now when no one spoke in Polish and the horses are all dead or something, and the, uh, the description just says everyone knows what a horse is. You're like, if you is, don't yes. know what a horse is, yeah, that's not a particularly helpful. <laughs> and so that's, I, I wonder, you know, if, if you didn't know what a nutcracker is, would a misshapen little man uh, actually be that good a description? It might be kind of terrifying, <laughs> yeah. If they, They're like, what are these guys, what did they do? What? Well, hopefully, you know, we'll still know what nuts are. By hopefully, then, too, right? Nuts, Seems yeah. like we'd have to have some pretty big changes before uh, before nuts stopped stopped being something that we'd recognize. But well, I mean, obviously, they're not uh, they're not the food source that they once were. That's true. And we, I did I, with my German grandpa. We did. He had pea, pecan trees in huh. his yard, and and uh, so uh, I remember See, picking the pecans. I remember and, eating nuts with with grandpa. So which which would have been. Um, Louis, Louis, yeah, my dad, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, so, and cracking nuts and stuff. But the the truth is, like, it's it's kind of hard to get nuts that you actually have to crack open these days. Oh, you know, around Christmas they're usually bins full of. Okay. See, that's, that's I rem- I have okay, memories true, yeah. of pulling them out of bins, probably probably from from with Grandpa, but I don't. Um, I oh, I'm sure, I'm sure I could run over to the local grocery today and find a bunch. I of probably nuts could. And, and we usually we usually get some, and the thing is, they pretty much stay good. I mean, I probably have some nuts left over from last year. I don't know. So, uh, and your sister enjoys, you know. Let's crack in the nuts a little bit. So she's. I always so liked the. Usually get some and it's kind the, of like, like the brown ones. I think it's like a Brazil nut. It had a really interesting nut uh, casing uh, shell. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the ones that are kind of like long and three sided. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I liked those ones. Um, I, I appearance we have, wise, we have a lot of walnut trees here, but they're black walnuts, and and uh, you pretty much need a chainsaw. So, uh, <laughs> You're not cracking those open. That's not whether you need a chainsaw or a squirrel to get those things open. Gosh darn, squirrels can really get through some shells, can't they? Yeah, I don't know. Somehow they live on those things because I can't even get them open with my car. So <laughs> you're running over them, and there's no one. No yeah, even run over. I still haven't cracked that nut yet. Yeah, those black walnuts are tough, tough buggers. They really are. I uh, I really enjoyed this story too because it's it's kind of a very heard on its own. It seems like a like a long series of coincidences to kind of make nutcrackers. Uh, what they are today and is that that you know that they just happens to be made we're not even sure why they are you know associated with the winter time but we think oh it's because that that's when they're working in their workshop so that's when they make toys because they're not making other big stuff uh, and then and then you know it passes on to uh, being painted in particular ways and associated with christmas time and then with christmas trees and then it comes to the u.s by like soldiers who were in germany after world war ii and that's that's all just a very interesting series of coincidences of how it is of how you know and i guess to to some extent i mean all things have that that there's some story yeah i mean everything's got that story behind it i mean that's one of the things that's fun about doing the history guys i mean there's there's a fun story behind you know elevators and oranges yeah. uh but uh, uh it's it's interesting to me because again we are so driven by tradition in christmas and it's 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 such a massive thing from you know both a you know a marketing and sales standpoint but i mean family and all the things that we do with it that it's really interesting that when you go back and find out how these traditions occurred and they, and you know a lot of times it was very haphazardly yeah. uh, and a lot of it is a lot more modern than we realize i mean it came more uh, yeah. so you know you might not think that i mean in the united states nutcrackers weren't really a thing and people hardly even noticed those until after the second yeah. world war when we had soldiers coming home with them uh, and you might you might think that's something that would go much farther back than that so i mean a, a christmas in the united states uh in uh, in 1950 was different than it is now but if you look at it and say 1850 or 1750 uh you find out that these traditions are not necessarily as old as you yeah. 1750 would have been very unlikely had a christmas tree in the united states they would, they would have thought of that as usually as a pagan thing and hardly anybody would ever would have heard of it uh, and so it's 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 kind of amazing how that's evolved over time and now it's such yeah. a big deal with it and now you see a nutcracker in the store and you immediately think of christmas yeah especially the the classic the the classic one with the the red the red and the black hat and stuff like that's very very <laughs> christmas and i just think that's really interesting that we we have you know a local something that starts as a local folk art and then today it's something completely different and they make millions of the things in china <laughs> kind of the whole opposite of what the idea of folk art was going to be right and that's and i guess i mean that's happened to a lot of stuff that it starts out as 
as something, uh, well, as a craft. And this was something that when they made these, these would have been uh, fairly fairly rare. And if you got one, they were something that was specifically and carefully made by hand. And now, I mean, today, yeah. the mass production has changed it. But of course, nutcrackers, one of the ways they became popular is because they had the, the guy who started using the water power to power his lathe so he could mass produce them. And to some extent, I mean, they can only be popular if there are enough of them for people to have. That's true. And well, and you know, the, the, that makes them more affordable yeah. too. I mean, when it was, when it was a piece of folk art, it was probably something that only a few people could afford, but you're right. I mean, I'm sure it met something. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's part of, you know, what it does in the play too. But I mean, when the, you know, a person brought you a nutcracker as a Christmas present, then that was a very special yeah. present and that would go with your family for your, for your lifetime. I, I did want to ask the Nutcracker that you show in the video. Did you get that specifically for the video, or is that one you already had? No, I, honestly, I don't know where it came from. I have to say, it was in with our Christmas stuff. I don't remember buying it. I don't know <laughs> if, if my wife bought it or, if, or where it came from. Uh, we just happened to have this little. He's about a foot tall. He's not a very big Nutcracker, and and uh, so it was good to have one. And he gets on set now and again. People see it, but that is not some sort of long term family you just tradition. To have I don't a... honestly know where he comes from. And he has a sticker on the bottom of his feet that says "Made in China," so he's not, you know, he. He's not real traditional. I imagine so a lot might, of them uh, have that sticker these days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but that suggests to me that he was picked off a shelf at a department store or something like Target. that. Target. So, and uh, <laughs> I, I had no idea when we, when we got him or where. So, and, but that's kind of cool, you know, to an extent. But, I mean, maybe sometime I'll get something that's a real traditional full cart piece of, and put that up on set there, too, because uh, you know, I would rather have an antique on set than. But, yeah, so, some. <laughs> <laughs> made in China, dude. But he worked for the, he worked to illustrate the point. I think it's sad that most of them don't crack nuts anymore. Uh, they, You'd probably That's break. True. Well, Most of them, yeah, you avoid the void the yeah. warranty if you try to crack nuts with your nutcracker. Half yeah, of them, their you know, their jaw doesn't even actually move. They're just they they're just for looks. But this one, the jaw does work. I have to say, the jaw does does work. It. I, it's very small. I don't know what kind of nut you would try to crack in there, and I don't know how much leverage you would get. I would imagine that it would unhinge the <laughs> joint before it would break any sort of. Tough I think nut, most of them are that way anymore. That they just they can't actually break any of the nuts, especially ones that you're you know, using those metal things that you really got to crack them on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really got to crack them. Yeah, and those are, well, it used to be you'd get a nutcracker kid around Christmas, and then there would be you know be three or four tools, and one of them would be a hammer. So I mean, you, just hit him. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you club it. <laughs> Magellan TV is sponsoring this episode, and they sponsor all of our podcasts. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that what we like to do is talk about what we've been watching on Magellan TV lately. And so, what have you been watching on Magellan TV? Well, you know, I tell you, uh, I, I, I pulled the trigger recently, which I had held off on, and I, I bought a home robot. I, I got one of the robot vacuums, uh, which now chases the cats around. I love science fiction and I've watched a million science fiction shows. So the idea of bringing a robot into my house that claims to have artificial intelligence means it's going to attack me in the night. So anyway, setting that all aside, so I, when I was looking at Magellan, I, uh, they have a series called Age of Robots. Uh, which is talking about where robots are going and where they are today. And actually, some of it's quite surprising to me in that I, some of it's farther along with technologies farther along than you would have thought. And if you think about how yeah. clever this AI robot is, I mean, you should see it vacuuming under my table, how it figures out to get around the chairs and stuff like that. You think about that really suggests, you know, that they're going to have a much broader use, you know, soon. So I watched, uh, that's a series called Age of Robots, which is interesting. I watched an episode that was called uh, The City of the Future that's talking about how robots are going to affect things in the in the future. And, uh, and honestly, uh, you know, it talks about things like self-driving cars. It talks about things like uh, assistance robots that are, you know, you're going you're to walk into a hospital or a store and they're going to be able to help you find stuff and take them out. Anyway, the series that I watch with, I love Magellan TV. There's so much you can watch on it. And so I, you know, I just happen to be thinking about robots and it's really, uh, this one's really interesting. It's, it really gives you a view into very near future. I mean, it's stuff that's going to be changing our lives probably in our lifespans. Uh, and, uh, and an idea, you know, since more and more of the population, the world's population is moving urban, then this idea of the city of the future and how it's going to require the use of, of robots that require the use of artificial intelligence and, and uh, more and more machines and stuff like that is really, really fascinating. And I love history, but uh, I, I, you know, I spend my time with history documentaries. And so sometimes I want to watch something else and, and it's something else. Really interesting. Now, what have you been watching? So I watched, I was kind of looking for something like typically history channel. <laughs> and so what I, what I found was a top 10 warfare. And so it's a series and those that will talk about top 10, I, airplanes and uh, tanks and what I what I ended up watching was top 10 battles 
And it's it's interesting. I, I like watching it, first of all. There weren't a whole lot of surprises, I will say, being someone who knows quite a bit about history. I wasn't I wasn't watching it being like, oh, wow, that's a really controversial first choice of something that I wouldn't have expected. It was also focused mostly on, I, I think, completely everything was from the, the 20th century. It was very much classic. They're going to teach you about each of these battles. It's kind of interesting talking about it. It's ripe for arguing about whether they're uh, you know which one belongs in the position which i always think is kind of fun to talk about and i won't i won't mm -hmm. give any spoilers away as to what they choose for number one or anything like that but you, sh you should go watch it and find out that's one of the most fun things for a history buff and i really consider myself more of a history buff than a historian to be honest uh, but one of the most fun things for a history buff is to sit and argue over that sort of thing is to sit and discuss you know which one do you think it's, as long as you can keep it civil that's true uh, it's kind of surprising how people can't uh, and it sounds like a lot of fun i you know me i would go a completely different direction if, if i were to pick the top 10 battles in history i would be trying to pick battles no one heard of right uh, yeah, know, that's my, the... my number one would be this battle was so important and you've never heard of it and that's because uh, that's that's you know history deserves to be remembered so it's another, I mean, if you want to watch history, Magellan TV is a great place. But if you want to watch, you know, nature, if you want to watch crime, if you want to watch science and tech or space, uh, then those are all Magellan's the place for it. I mean, it's really is, uh, this, the monthly subscription is so totally worth it with all the, the vast, you know, amount of, of, of factual information that you could have. And of course, if you are a listener or watcher of The History Guy, you can always go to try.magellantv.com slash historyguy where we will always have a deal for you, sometimes a free month or a deal on an annual membership or even a documentary that you can watch for free. Again, that's try.magellantv.com slash historyguy. Next, the History Guy talks about the history of Christmas trees. And stay tuned after the episode to hear us chat a little more with the History Guy. The History Guy has fans all over the world, and we know that our viewers celebrate a number of different holiday traditions, but we can assume that many of you will be putting up a Christmas tree this season. Depending upon the survey, somewhere between 75 and 80% of American households will put up a Christmas tree during the Christmas season, and that is a tradition that is practiced in many varieties all over the world. But the history of the Christmas tree is really quite interesting, being both surprisingly ancient and in other ways shockingly new, and including many innovations, one involving a toilet brush. The history of the Christmas tree deserves to be remembered. Traditions involving evergreen plants in midwinter are as ancient as civilization. The winter solstice, the point where one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt away from the sun, occurs in December in the Northern Hemisphere, very close to Christmas, usually December 20th or 21st. The solstice represents the longest night and the shortest day of the year, and days thereafter will grow longer until the summer solstice. Many ancient religions saw the significance. To them, winter came because the sun god had grown ill or weak, and the solstice was a cause for celebration as it represented the day when the sun god began to recover. Evergreen plants were used because they represented the triumph of life over death. In ancient Egypt, on the solstice, people decorated their homes with green palm fronds in a celebration of Ra, the god of the sun. Ancient Romans celebrated Saturnalia, a raucous festival in honor of Saturn, the god of wealth and agriculture, in mid-December. And the festival of gift-giving and libation included decorating the home with evergreen boughs. Celtic druids in ancient Britain decorated evergreen trees at the onset of winter to ensure a fruitful coming year. Germanic peoples venerated sacred trees and oaks and associated the evergreen tree with the god Baldr, who was associated with the sun. In ancient Germanic and Scandinavian traditions, trees were seen as a protection from the wild hunt, a chaotic time when a mythical figure led a hunt of souls that could spell doom. In Scandinavian folklore, the hunt was led by the god Woden and occurred during the midwinter festival called Yule, whose traditions affected many later Christmas traditions. But it's not clear how, if at all, these pre-Christian traditions affected the modern tradition of Christmas trees. A more likely predecessor is mystery plays, plays that depicted biblical stories that were the origin of passion plays. Mystery plays started to be introduced into sacred services in Europe around the 5th century. The plays would be associated with dates, and in many countries, the liturgical calendar celebrated Saints Adam and Eve on December 24th. The mystery plays on Christmas Eve, therefore, often feature the so-called Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, also called the Tree of Life, from which Eve took the apple given to Adam. The tree was decorated with red apples and white wafers. The decoration of a Christmas bough by the Catholic religious order of Cistercians, noted in a 15th century reference to an evergreen bough decorated with red oranges and candles, is seen by some as the earliest reference to a Christmas tree. 
But the tradition of Christmas trees might actually not be related to pre-Christian pagan traditions or even to Christian mystery plays. According to a December 18, 2020 edition of National Geographic, the cities of Riga, Latvia and Tallinn, Estonia have an ongoing argument over which city was the first to host a real Christmas tree. And that debate has to do with a mysterious medieval order called the Brotherhood of the Blackheads. Established in what was then called Livonia in the mid-13th century, the Brotherhood was an association of local unmarried merchants, ship owners, and foreigners. Originally created to help fight an indigenous uprising against Christianity called the St. George's Night Uprising in 1543. While the order had a military history and chivalric tradition, it was largely an association of merchants and tradespeople. In the middle 15th century, they apparently took up the practice of raising and decorating a real or ersatz tree with fruits and nuts in their guild hall. They would then haul the tree to the middle of town, dance around it, and set fire to it. Latvia claims the first such event occurred in Riga in 1510, and Estonia claims the first was in Tallinn in 1444. But the evidence is sketchy to support either claim. While the debate is seen to affect tourism travel for Christmas celebration, the odd thing is that these supposed first Christmas trees might not have had anything to do with Christmas. As a historian for the National Library of Latvia, quoted in the New York Times in 2016, notes that these events were likely rooted in rituals and traditions unique to the Blackheads, when biannual celebrations served as a means of inducting new members. Thus, the Christmas tree tradition might actually have been secular. The first firmly dated representation of a Christmas tree is in 1576 in Alsace, which is today part of France, but is on the border with Germany and holds many German traditions. The Christmas market in the Alsatian city of Strasbourg is among the oldest in Europe, dating as far back as 1570, and at least in modern times is famous for its Christmas tree. The practice of decorating a tree in the home as we know it today is generally seen as having evolved in Germany in the 16th century. The tradition may have been associated with Protestantism, as the trees in the homes might have been a Protestant response to the Catholic tradition of Christmas cribs, or nativity scenes. Most directly, the story of decorating a Christmas tree has been associated with the 16th century religious reformer, Martin Luther. According to the story, Luther was walking home one winter evening and was struck by the beauty of brilliant stars against the evergreen trees of the German forest. He brought a tree to his home and decorated it with candles as a way to represent the scene. Writer Dorothy Haskins explained, He wanted to stand there, evergreen, as a reminder to his children that when the world was at its bleakest moment, sad and helpless and covered with the weight of sin, God sent his son, everlasting life itself, to bring hope in the midst of the dark and chill. Although it isn't clear if the story of Luther is real or apocryphal, the tradition quickly became associated with Protestant reformers, and a Christmas tree was placed in the Cathedral of Strasbourg at the direction of reformer Martin Bucer in 1539. The tradition became common in the Upper Rhineland by the 18th century, but less so along the Lower Rhine, where there was a Roman Catholic majority. However, trees also have a particular meaning in Catholic doctrine, and the Catholic Church often cites an 8th century AD story, where St. Boniface cut down an oak tree called Donor's Oak in central Germany that was being used as a pagan symbol, and instead offered a fir tree as a holy tree, that being an evergreen represented endless life, as the origin of the Christmas tree. If so, the Vatican was somewhat slow in coming to the party, only starting a Christmas tree tradition in St. Peter's Square in 1982. In any case, by the 19th century, the tradition had taken hold all across Germany and was seen to be uh, an expression of German culture. In fact, that is how the tradition of Christmas trees luckily first came to the United States, with Hessian troops fighting in the American Revolution, as well as with German immigrants as early as 1777. Still, the tradition was not widely accepted in the U.S., where it was largely perceived as a quaint foreign or even pagan tradition. If Protestants created the Christmas tree tradition in Germany, they vehemently opposed it in England. The Puritans saw Christmas as a frivolous addition to the religious calendar and were particularly offended by wasteful excess like singing carols and decorating trees. A 1643 ordinance during the Protectorate encouraging subjects to treat the midwinter period with more solemn humiliation because it may call to remembrance our sins and the sins of our forefathers who have turned this feast, pretending the memory of Christ, into an extreme forgetfulness of him by giving liberty to carnal and sensual delights. As Lord Protector, Oliver Cromwell had troops patrol the streets to arrest anyone who looked like they were headed to a special Christmas Eve service and confiscate any food discovered being prepared for Christmas celebrations. The same attitude prevailed among Puritans in the Americas. According to History.com, in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts enacted a law banning any celebration of December 25th and fining people for hanging decorations. 
The change in both Great Britain and the United States was imported from Germany via the royal family. The tradition of decorating a whole tree was brought to the British royal family by Queen Charlotte, wife of George III, in 1800. While the tradition did not, by and large, at the time spread beyond the royal family, it was well recognized by young Victoria Alexandrina, who would later be crowned Queen Victoria. When she married her cousin, Prince Albert of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha, in 1841, the Queen and her consort made a point of advertising their Christmas traditions, reinforced by Albert's German heritage, with their eventual nine children. The tradition slowly became more popular, boosted significantly when the Illustrated London News portrayed the royal family with their tree in 1848. Status-conscious Britons quickly began emulating the royal couple. The tradition briefly fell out of favor due to the anti-German sentiment during the Great War, but by the 1920s was common among all classes. A special tradition was started following the Second World War, where the government of Norway, since 1947, donates a Norway spruce tree each year to the people of Britain as a token of gratitude for British support during the Second World War, when the British government hosted the Norwegian government in exile. The tree is a focus of a traditional carol singing program, and according to the webpage of the City of London, for many Londoners, the Christmas tree and the carol singing in Trafalgar Square signals the countdown to Christmas. The city bills the tree as the world's most famous Christmas tree. As with the United Kingdom, the Christmas tree tradition was spread throughout Europe by the largely intermarried European nobility. Nobility was not quite as popular in the United States, but upper-class, status-conscious Americans tended to emulate their European peers. In an odd twist, the 1848 illustration of the Queen and her consort was also popular in the United States, printed in the women's magazine Godey's Ladybook in 1850 but was modified to remove the queen's crown and the prince consort's sash, resembling a more typical family. The well-known illustration is credited with popularizing Christmas trees in the United States, where there were more than three million Germans who had immigrated between 1840 and 1880, and the Puritan fervor of the 17th century had faded. Still, various complaints about the German tradition being un-American persisted through the Great War period. There is some anecdotal evidence that a tree was placed in the White House in the 1840s under the Tyler administration and others that a tree was placed during the Pierce administration in the 1850s. But the most credible reports do not place a Christmas tree in the White House until 1889 during the Benjamin Harrison administration, when it was placed on the second floor and decorated with candles for the Harrison grandchildren. But a White House Christmas tree did not become an immediate tradition and was left to the whims of the occupant and often depended upon whether there were children in the White House. First Lady Lou Henry Hoover started a tradition of an official White House tree with decorations decided by the First Lady in 1929. With only two exceptions, the White House Christmas tree has been placed on the first floor Blue Room since 1961 and is commonly called the Blue Room Christmas Tree. The tradition of placing a tree in Rockefeller Center in Midtown Manhattan between West 48th and 51st Streets and 5th and 6th Avenues didn't begin until 1931. First tree was placed by construction workers building Rockefeller Center. Workers pooled their money for the tree, which was decorated with homemade decorations made by their families. In 1933, Rockefeller Center decided to make an annual tree a tradition, and the now iconic ice rink was opened in 1936. The lighting of the tree was first televised in 1950, and today the ceremony is broadcast to hundreds of millions, and as many as 125 million people visit the tree in a normal year. While early traditions included ersatz trees, often wooden platforms covered with evergreen boughs, something approximating a modern artificial tree was developed earlier than you might think. By the 1880s, Germans became concerned about the use of Christmas trees because of deforestation. As a solution, a type of artificial tree made of green dyed goose feathers wrapped around a wire frame was developed. Feather trees were popular throughout the 19th century and had a brief surge of popularity in the United States in the early 20th century when they were sold at department stores and touted for not dropping needles. In 1930, a maker of housewares, the Addis Brush Company, produced an artificial tree made from brush bristles. They used the same process and equipment used for making toilet brushes, but used green bristles and were sold into the 1950s. Aluminum trees, manufactured from about 1955 into the 1970s, were briefly popular in the United States. More than a million were produced by the Aluminum Specialty Company of Mantawak, Wisconsin, between 1959 and 1969. But in 1965, a Charlie Brown children's cartoon portrayed aluminum trees as symbols of the commercialization of Christmas, and the market faded. Today, there is a market for vintage and antique trees, such as feather trees, addis brush trees, and aluminum trees, but most modern artificial trees are made of PVC and most commonly manufactured in China.
There are ongoing debates about the economic and environmental impacts of real versus artificial Christmas trees. A 2017 survey by the American Christmas Tree Association found that around 81% of America's approximately 95 million Christmas trees were artificial, although other surveys suggest that the number may be closer to around two-thirds. Still, as many as 30 million natural Christmas trees are produced in the United States every year, and as many as 60 million in Europe. While the tradition seems harmless, a 2020 survey by the website Value Penguin found that nearly 1 in 20 Americans admit having been injured while putting up a Christmas tree, and three-quarters admit to have forgotten to turn the lights out at night, which can be a fire hazard. According to the National Fire Protection Association, there's an average of about 160 home fires in the United States attributed to Christmas trees each year, causing around $10 million in property loss and an average of two deaths per fire. To limit the risk of fire, the website AccuWeather suggests buying fresher-looking trees, keeping them well-watered, shaking the tree to see if the needles are detaching, checking the lights and turning them off at night, and keeping the tree away from heat sources such as radiators, fireplaces, and candles. And even with their long history, the future of Christmas trees still looks very bright. A 2019 report on CNN noted that in the previous year, 2018, more Christmas trees were sold in America than ever before in history. The reason is that the generation called the Millennials are now settling down and having children. Jessica Lutz of the American Realtors Association asserts that Millennials might actually be more attracted to Christmas trees than previous generations because of their obsession with posting photographs on social media, where a picture of the family in front of the Christmas tree is quickly becoming an Instagram staple. So, I mean, the first thing that I think is just really entertaining about the, the Christmas tree history is that there's this fight between Latvia and Lithuania on exactly who had the first Christmas tree, which is all based on this oddly named Brotherhood of Blackheads. It's really a funny and compelling story. It's, it might not have anything actually to do with a Christmas tree. They might not even have anything to do with Christmas. Uh, but it's become huge business to uh, to go to those town squares to those big trees. And it tracks they, – they make a massive amount of holiday business. And so they argue over whose who's was first. Uh, and it appears to have been a recruiting tool. And it's a little different than the, the Christmas tree tradition yeah. where they would use either a real or an ersatz tree and then would come and dance around it and set fire to the thing. Uh, and so, Interesting. I mean, it's, no, I, I – it's a very interesting story in the history of Christmas trees, uh, but it's it's interesting that it might not have even been seen as something from the history of Christmas trees, except for uh, Latvia and Estonia started seeing a way of, to make money. Yeah, because it really might not. <laughs> well, who had the first Christmas tree? It sure seems like the version of the Christmas tree that they now put up to market is not much like what the the black. It's not much like doing. you know. It's not. Yeah. yeah. So so I mean, but I you know traditions start in different ways. So it's it's a, it's a really interesting part of the tradition, and it's not it's not irrelevant to Christmas trees yeah. because it's really considered relevant today to talk about Christmas trees. Yeah, it's just an interesting. Uh, even though those, you know, which those might not even have been associated with the Christmas at all when they originally when did them. Just happened to be I was I read a little bit about them because I thought that was an interesting name for a brotherhood. I was like I haven't heard of that, uh, like but yeah, that just kind of yeah. happens to be around Christmas time, you know, that they were doing some of this, they were doing this stuff. And yeah, that, and this was before there would have been trees really associated with Christmas in any sense that we, you know, think of today. Yeah, so. I mean, Christmas trees are really an interesting convoluted story. It's not quite clear where they come from. The, the religious justifications for them uh, look like they might have come post facto. Yeah, you know that's that that, that you know, people too. had the Christmas trees, and then people came up with a way to kind of shoehorn that into religious observance. Uh, and, uh, and so, I mean, they're really, and then also just the way you know, the way that they've changed over time. I mean, I have uh, an artificial tree. I mean, and that's uh, I mean. Who would have thought that we would get to the point where it's not just we have trees in the house, but we will literally create a fake tree out of plastic, uh, and and so the people you know the people would use them. And it's uh, so I mean it's another one of those traditions that develops strangely over time. It's one of those traditions where it's surprising where you get it. It's another one that I think many Americans would be surprised how recent the tradition yeah. is. And and actually even prior to World War II, that a lot of people didn't have Christmas trees. That uh, we didn't really start doing presidential Christmas trees at least until the end of the 19th century. That was interesting. Uh, too. George Washington might never have seen a Christmas tree. And uh, or wouldn't have an idea what they were or would have thought that they were incredibly foreign idea. Like so many things that we do in the history guy, the history is just really, really interesting. I, th I just think that's amazing. And it's, it's interesting to me that uh, 
that there's so much also tied in with Germany with these two, these the two we're talking about today. Not yeah, crackers. it is it is interesting and, though. Though I mean, one of these about Christmas trees that's so funny is that it it didn't really come to us from Germany. I mean, probably the earliest Christmas trees in the United States were German immigrants, or might have been actually even Hessian troops here during the one of the arguments might have been Hessian troops during the Revolutionary War, though yeah. they, they might have come before that. But it's really interesting that the way it became popular in the United States was was uh, via the United Kingdom, and that yeah. is the, the 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 royal family in England also was German. Uh, the Saxon Coburgs and and uh, and uh, they that tradition through Victoria is they were putting up trees and it was the Queen of England that in the United States where we actually were even re- responded to that so much that when they reprinted the the plates here they took off her crown uh, <laughs> so that she looked less less royal uh, but that was what popularized Christmas trees here so it wasn't it didn't come from Germany it came from Germany to England to the United States and and uh, that's it's really is an interesting story yeah it's some it's just it's really interesting stuff I also think it's you know. Nutcrackers still have have some kind of German uh, connotations to them, even here in America. Mm-hmm. But these days, uh, Christmas trees really don't. No, I, I don't think most people know that they're they were. And, and at one time, Americans didn't want them yeah. because they looked too German, right? And that's uh, and, today and we, we wouldn't yeah. say that. And if there was anti-German oh, yeah. sentiment, we wouldn't be we wouldn't throw out our Christmas trees. There's yeah yeah I don't I don't even think we necessarily make that connection anymore yeah it's, it's all part of that really interesting history you know someone was making a fortune on aluminum Christmas trees and then Charlie Brown came along and and uh, and you know made them look like the this the whole symbol of the the commercialization of Christmas and they're out oh, the door you know oh, goodbye aluminum yeah. Christmas trees yeah, goodbye aluminum Christmas trees so I, I, like overnight the market died uh, and uh, or uh, th- that one of the original artificial Christmas trees was made by a, a, a company that literally made toilet brushes and all they did was yeah, use that's... the same process and they just use green bristles and then there it's you christmas go christmas tree just, yeah I there you was, go this christmas is over you can use it to scrub your toilet yeah talk yeah. about a talk about a uh, connection that you would not have expected to find well and it's really when you look at even a modern artificial christmas tree you're like you're right this is i i hadn't thought about that toilet brushes yeah. i had not thought about that and now i look at the christmas trees after this episode and i always i'm like yep yeah, look at all those toilet brushes yeah they look like toilet brushes <laughs> there's it's a it's a fascinating history or that the originally uh, uh, fake christmas trees came artificial christmas trees came because of, of a fear that they were deforesting in germany because of christmas trees and they were made out of goose feathers uh, and and then the, those they're, they're still around those goose feather ones and those toilet brush ones and they are highly collectible if you can find one of those original toilet brush christmas trees and people you know we're talking about collecting nutcrackers who collects different christmas trees yeah, in, see, that's including the, the old you know i have a hard enough time finding space to put up the one tree to be honest that's so. right <laughs> yeah but i'm sure they're, they're, apparently there are people that's that's, that's my uh, that's, those are very rarely only made for a little while and i'm, I'm one of those that got the, the christmas tree made by the toilet brush factory and i'll I'll be Uh, honest that would be cool that would be cool to have Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, it would be. It's it is a piece. Of, you know, you know me. I love history. It would be an antique. It would be an artificial piece of history. Those artificial trees. So it's it's really an interesting story, both in terms of the how the tradition started and, and even the religious connections, which are which are really interesting. Uh, you know, originally it was seen as a Protestant uh, tool, and then and then later there was a, a, an explanation that came through a Catholic description and yeah. uh, uh, and uh, and the the connection. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of everlasting life. You know, because it's an evergreen. Uh, it's really it's really interesting and you know how many houses they've burned down and all sorts of things it's just a lot of fascinating history there's a lot left out on that and and i'll I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit here that the christmas uh, episode this year is probably going to talk about a christmas tree too uh and in different contexts but i mean it just like everything else you find out that there's a yeah christmas trees are something that were part of our tradition and uh i think by the time that i was a kid in the 1970s everybody had a christmas tree no one thought that they were german i think people i i mean i'm sure when i was growing up i thought they'd probably been doing that forever and I didn't yeah. realize that you know you, you probably didn't see them uh, very often even in the 1920s. Say, uh, and, uh, and also traditions about like the, the the White House Christmas tree, the Washington Christmas tree, the the Christmas tree that's in Rockefeller Plaza. And, yeah. uh, I mean, those all those all have really interesting uh, histories behind them. Well, I thought it was really interesting that the the Vatican, given that we associate Christmas trees so much. With uh-huh. uh, with both uh, and not specifically with religion, but with with, with religious holiday, and that they didn't start uh-huh. putting up trees until the the eighties, the nineteen eighties. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's just not yeah, something they were, I would. They were thought. like catching on to the tradition. Yeah, yeah. Like they were like, oh yes, I guess this Christmas tree. You know, there they it is important, and it's just interesting because you're like, wow, that's I would have thought they would have started on that a little earlier. Uh, 
But it, you yeah, know. you would have thought that they were like one of the originators of the, and they weren't. Yeah, yeah they're and, photographs I mean, they're, of people. They're, they're really interesting, the story of the Christmas tree in London, which came, which is yeah. given to them every year by Norway as a thanks for what England did for uh, Norway during the Second World War. And uh, they have a special forest where they grow these trees, and they pick them out special every year. And that's considered the beginning of the Christmas season in London when they go light the tree. And I mean, that's all. Those are fantastic traditions. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, they they have a lot of meaning. Uh, they're newer than you would have thought. I mean, you wouldn't have thought that the London Christmas tree came about because of the second world war uh and and i mean it's uh, it's it was a really fun story to tell like everything else that we that we've done on history guy was really great research i found out things in the research that surprised me and it's a really great episode to watch yeah uh, i love the picture on the thumbnail on that one too because i've always had cats and cats and christmas trees are sometimes a mixed bag so that yeah. picture of the kitten climbing through the christmas tree it wasn't a family picture uh but i'm sure that we have a family picture somewhere of one of the cats when i was a kid getting in the I christmas i tell you tree. what i've got several cats that have been inside the christmas trees that i've owned this this year i there's one particular ornament that one of my cats just really likes and no matter what how high <laughs> i put it on the tree he'll get it back down and then he carries it to me so you're getting into bed and he comes in and he's carrying the ornament he's, and he's like look at this throw it for me i'm so happy i'm like no <laughs> stop pulling it off the tree destroying things i also i mean you know we talk about how how things have changed and it's it's so easy to forget that you know we take these kind of things for granted that we've done all our lives and that it feels like oh, our parents have done or our grandparents have done because we we've seen our grandparents with christmas trees and stuff you know mm -hmm. and for most of i mean for most grandparents these days they probably did have christmas trees for for much of their life but it's interesting that you know if you went any further back than that that would not necessarily have been a tradition and i yeah. it's interesting to talk about for for america that the the puritans were super anti christmas uh, they thought yeah, the whole yeah. thing was uh, but oh yeah yeah literally had police wandering the streets that if they saw that you were cooking something special on the 24th and they would they would arrest you yeah crazy and it's not the it's kind of this, stuff it's frivolous yeah they they were very yeah they, very i mean the history of christmas is quite interesting and and uh, saint nicholas day i mean it's just oh, yeah. done differently i mean it's it's interesting that uh, that we've we've de we we've made our santa more secular really coca-cola made our santa more sec secular but the interesting thing that we pulled out was krampus that used to have this horn dude and hopping around behind him and that's what you know that was the one that talked to the kids who weren't on the who were on the naughty list. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't uh, have. It's kind of funny that we pulled Krampus out of the story because he's he was a big part of the story. Yeah, we don't have an uh, anti Santa. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have the anti-Santa who shows up at your door, which uh, still is very popular in some places. Or, you know, it's in uh, in Greece, uh, St. Nicholas is the patron saint of sailors. And so they decorate their boats, the small fishing boats uh, for Christmas. Uh, and they'll they'll decorate those around uh, around the 6th of December is usually uh, St. Nicholas feast day. Uh, and those will stay up until Christmas. And so there are different traditions everywhere. And, you know, so it's, we think of our traditions to be so profound. You think everybody has them. And then you find out that the traditions yeah. are, are, are elsewhere. And it's interesting that a lot of our traditions were taken from the United Kingdom, but a lot of them were taken from a Washington Irving story yeah. about the United Kingdom that was probably mostly fiction. And so we, you know, we it's pretend uh, history from England, and then some of our traditions then have made their way back to in the same way. And that one of the craziest things ever is that the the huge celebration of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, started here and then finally ireland said you know people keep showing up saying what are you doing on st patrick's day so we decided we would celebrate st patrick's day in ireland because <laughs> we didn't used to do it that much yeah so <laughs> so now the american tradition for st patrick's day is what they do in ireland in order to attract tourists to ireland i mean it's it's it's, it's just crazy how these all work and the, and the christmas tree episode is a really good example of that. exactly yeah i i was reading though i was reading some stuff even into the uh into fairly modern into the 19th century of some of the stuff they would do on christmas and it, it could get pretty raucous apparently they had you would essentially go around like as a band kind of like caroling it had a different mm -hmm. name but i'm not going to remember what it was but they would they were having problems where they would be pretending to do that and actually they were just robbing your house they were robbing yeah <laughs> yeah it used to be i i understood it that way i mean i don't i have to research that a little bit more i don't want to say it's truly history but i mean at least the, what i've been told is that when wassling was kind of a threat yeah. sort of thing you better give us uh, or you get in trouble the the song we wish you a merry christmas you think they'll bring us some figgy pudding and bring it right now you know it's like it's like it, that harkens back to that interesting kind of threat. Yeah, yeah. it used to be uh, uh, in early American history, uh, Christmas was more of uh, wasn't a somber uh, 
religious uh, family holiday. It was really kind of a raucous celebration. And with one of the you know crazy examples of that being the eggnog, uh, the eggnog uh, uh, riot at West Point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and they, they got so that they got so drunk that they nearly did, you know burned down West Point. That they destroyed the barracks uh, because they, they were drinking you know spiked eggnog on Christmas. Uh, and that's just kind of different than how we do it today. And it's kind of it's it's interesting. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because if you watch, it, say, a Western made in the 1960s, they will show you a version of Christmas in the West that was nothing like the Christmas in the West in the, in the 1870s or the 80s. Yeah, they probably weren't uh, weren't celebrating Christmas much like we do today. But that's yeah. that's kind I, of... I was just, just the other day, we were researching something and I had a 1920 Christmas, uh, a, a 1920 paper that I was looking at. And one of the stories on the side of that paper was first Christmas trees here or something like that. Huh. So it was in 1920 in the town had put up their first Christmas tree. So before we, uh, before we kind of tie things up, I just wanted to ask, what does the history guy Christmas tree look like this year? I, a new tree. I have to say, we, we, we had a tree that was getting uh, pretty run down. We had a, a, an artificial, but it was starting to look a little, a little as my uncle would say, long in the tooth. Uh, <laughs> and so we, every year we'd be like, you know, there'll be sales after Christmas. We'll get, we keep forgetting. And so, I mean, so, so, so this year, just, I just said, I'm going to buy a new tree. And so we have a new one. Uh, this, it's an artificial tree. It's bigger than the tree that we had before. I think the last one we had was only maybe a five foot tree. This is probably seven and a half foot. Uh, and the lights are built on. So maybe my tree is a sign that I've gotten more lazy, but it's kind of cool because your sister willow and i uh, went out and we got uh, new ornaments and we got uh, uh, and we designed a tree just around uh, you know what we wanted it to look like and so it's our it's our tree so it's a, it's a beautiful tree we also have most people know if you're fans of the history guy that we have new kittens that we got last uh, this is their first christmas we got them last may uh, and so far uh, they have not been a terror towards the tree so far. Wow, we've been, uh, we've, that's we've so been. nice because my my cat has been a terror. Mostly, he just eats the tree and then throws oh. it up. So that's. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, oh, we love our pets. Oh we yeah. Love so our pets. and the, he throws up, and there's five or six pieces of the tree, and I'm just like, why? But I I just want to. I think that it's a good time to our our next podcast episode will come out after Christmas. So mm -hmm. from the history guy, Merry yes. Christmas. Merry Christmas. However you celebrate, whatever your tradition, uh, have a very happy holiday season and uh, take the time to appreciate uh, family and friends and all the things that you have around. That's really what it's all about. And, and uh, so from, uh, from our house to your house, have a very Merry Christmas, uh, uh, Happy New Year and a great holiday season. Thank you for listening to this episode of the History Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Forgotten History. And if you did, you can find more on our website, thehistoryguy.com. We release podcasts every two weeks, so stick around if you want to hear more podcasts of Forgotten History. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. You can even get a personalized message from the History Guy himself on Cameo.